as we begin the message this morning. And this is a different kind of message today that we're doing. It's one, uh, I've been doing ministry a long time, and it's pretty rare for me that I get a little bit nervous when I'm up to speak. But today, we're talking about how should I vote? How should a Christian vote? And that one gets just a little bit edgy. And so hopefully, um, we'll get through the edgy and hear from God this morning. I was just thinking before, um, it was 15 years ago, it was a Tuesday morning, I was at a, prayer, a men's prayer meeting at my church, and, uh, and a guy came running in partway through the prayer meeting and says, you will not believe what just happened. And he described the video that he had seen of an airplane flying into a building in New York City. And uh, it was hard to appreciate the scope of that at the time, it was hard to appreciate the tragedy of it. He said, you, 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 stop the meeting, you've got to come see this. Which is ironic, right? Hey, a terrible tragedy has happened. Stop praying. That was weird. But, but we went and we looked, and uh, in that moment, I think all of us, the first time we saw those images, there was a little change that happened in us. And then there was a change that happened in our country in the days and in the weeks and in the months that ensued, right? We really, we came together around who we are. We came together around our identity. And, uh, and we kind of circled the wagons. and. And America was brought together in the face of an incredibly powerful, tragic moment. And then here we are 15 years later, and we're probably not nearly as unified today as we were then, right? You're just looking over the events of this past summer of um, police officers being shot, police officers uh, shooting people in ways that became very public, right? Uh, the division, the tensions, particularly uh, the racial tensions that have existed, and then add into the mix uh, the upcoming election. And we've got a nation that is incredibly divided uh, with strong and passionate feelings at all ends of the spectrum and every place in between as well. And really, like even in this room, there's this broad diversity of perspective uh, and opinions. And when it comes to politics and voting especially, you know, we resisted the temptation to say, okay, conservatives, you're going to be over here, and liberals, you're going to be over there, and treat it like the House of Representatives. We're not doing that. But here in our midst, right, we've got folks who, um, who would identify themselves and say, uh, I'm, I'm a progressive. Uh, you know, others would call you ultra-liberal, but you're a progressive. And we have out here those who would consider themselves conservatives, right? Other people would call you a fascist, but you know that you're a conservative, right? <laughs> we, got, we got names for everybody. We got a broad diversity of opinion, and those opinions become really complex, because it's not just are you this or that, but there are these layers, right? There's, there are social issues. There are economic issues. There are political issues. There are global issues. There are defense issues. There's lots of issues, and you can be at one end of the spectrum or anywhere in between on all of them. Ultimately, it seems like there's really only one thing that brings us together and unites us. And that's our sense that God agrees with me and everyone else should too. <laughs> that we all share in common. And when I talk with people, some are believers, some are not, but when I talk with people about the upcoming election, these, uh, there are four themes that really just continue to keep come driving through, right? The first is that this is just a really in, a very important election, that it's a, it's a critical, time in the na uh, tr critical time in the life of our nation. Uh, secondly, a theme that comes quite a, through quite a bit is this, 
that I don't really love any of the options that I have when it comes to voting for the leadership of this nation right now. The third theme that I hear a lot is, although I don't like some of the options, I think that I'm going to be doing this. And that this can be voting for one candidate or another candidate or a third party candidate or not voting at all, but I think I'm gonna do this, but I'm not sure. Because the fourth theme that resounds a lot through the church is this, I just wish that the Bible would offer me some guidance on how to vote. And this morning I'm here to tell you that it does. In fact, this morning, I'm here to announce my personal endorsement <laughs> of a biblical approach to voting. I think, I think the Bible tells us a lot of things. Uh, it doesn't specifically address the idea of an election. Representative government hadn't been formed yet, so that would have been really weird and very prophetic. It doesn't address it directly, but there's some things that we can learn about from Scripture that can inform us uh, how we might vote most biblically. And I want to start with this idea that we can vote honestly. That we can vote very, very honestly. And here's what I mean by that. Um, as, as Christians in America, as American Christians, we occupy this really kind of unique situation where on the one hand, um, well, Paul puts it this way. He says that we're citizens of heaven. When he's writing to the Philippians, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That is, we are um, citizens of a heavenly and a spiritual kingdom and we belong to God. And that's one reality. But that, same, that one reality is kind of balanced out against what Jesus said when he was talking in the Sermon on the Mount when he says this, that in this world, he says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. So we're citizens of a kingdom in heaven, but we also belong here in a kingdom in this world and we're supposed to have a particular kind of an impact, right? And so there are expressions of who I am that are expressions of my identity as a Christ follower and there are other parts of who I am and, and what I do that are expressions of who I am on this earth as an American. So as a follower of Jesus, um, I become someone, hopefully, who is learning who God is and what he's like and how I should think and what is true and what is noble, what is virtuous, how I should treat other people how I should recognize in every individual, from any nation, from any country, from any faith, with any color skin, I should recognize the inherent image of God resident in that person and honor it and respect it and love it, right? These are all things that are expressions of who I am as a follower of Jesus. And then there are some expressions of who we are as Americans as well. And these are not necessarily informed by who I am as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, they're really more, I mean, statistically speaking, they're more informed by uh, the home that you grew up in and what region of the country you grew up in. But these are things like, how do you feel about government? Do you believe in a, in a strong and a big federal government or a smaller and restricted government? Do you believe, um, do you believe that it's the government responsibility to care for everybody or to be more limited? Do you believe that where the Constitution is concerned, that you should be a strict constructionist and there should be nothing else going on besides what's specifically itemized in the 
in the Constitution, or do you believe that there's freedom for that document and the government it, it directs to grow and expand and adapt in the times? These are, these are all issues upon which reasonable people can disagree and have conversations. The, the key to remember here is that these conversations, right, are not necessarily informed by who I am as, as a believer. So as a citizen, you may have a vote. And then you've got to figure out what is that vote intended to include? Is it supposed to be like the expression of the candidate that aligns most closely with everything that I believe? That's one way of looking at the vote. Other people look at their vote and say, really, actually, my vote's a little more strategic. I don't mind voting for someone that I don't all the way agree with as long as it stops someone who I absolutely disagree with. Different versions, different thoughts, a lot of room for discussion there, right? Everyone's got their sense of who they are as an American and their American identity and where they stand politically. Those things are not necessarily directly connected to who I am as a Christian, as a citizen of this kingdom. So voting is that weird moment where those two worlds come together, where we try and bring who we are as followers of Jesus to bear on this political system which is not inherently God-breathed, right? And it's interesting. And what happens is sometimes we get a little bit dishonest. Very frequently. We just take these ideas and thoughts that we have as Americans and as voters and in terms of our citizenship values as Americans, and we say, I think these things. And then we just slap a thin veneer of spirituality and say, yeah, that's what God wants too. And that's a troublesome way to go about it. It leads to some dishonesty. I want to suggest that what I mean by let's vote honestly is this. Let's start where we belong with who we are as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And, say, and, and do the hard work of learning from scripture and from times in prayer. God, what are the things that are on your heart? What are the issues that are most in front in your view? What are the things that you care most about? And then take that sense of conviction over here and say, which options that I have in front of me do I think best accomplish those ends? And do you understand that when we do that, God is perfect. God's ends and his desires and his purposes are perfect and do not change. Right? That's not open for question. But when you come over here into a political system and me involved in it, a political system that's not perfect and, an, and a self that's inherently broken, that's where the problems come in. Right? I take God's perfect purposes, but I bring a broken me and a broken system and say, I'm going to do the very best that I can. And the results of those are what they are. I simply want to encourage us. Can we be honest about what's taking place when we vote? And I mean honest in three ways. One is let's be honest about my process. Let's not just take the things I've always heard and the things I've always understood to be true politically to be inherently the word of God for us. But let's start with God and say, God, you put on my heart what's most important for you, and I'll do the best of translating it through the political and election system. Right? Let's go ahead and be honest about that process, because until we've done that, we're not ready to vote. So we're going to be honest about how we do that. Second, we want to be honest then about the results. When we do that, we get from God's perfect purposes through a broken person and a broken system to a conclusion. Okay, here's the way I'm going to vote. Here's the candidate I'm going to attach my name to. Here are the issues where I'm voting yes or no on. And those results we have to understand because of the broken me and the broken system are imperfect. And what that does is it takes away from us the ability to say the kinds of things that I occasionally hear. Things like somebody who said to me recently, 
I absolutely do not believe that you can be a Democrat and be a Christian. What? Or someone who said there's no one further than the person of Jesus Christ than any active conservative. What? These are people who will tell you, on both sides of that, they would say they would go to their grave for this cause, that Jesus Christ came so that we could be saved by grace through faith. They would celebrate the fact that when they get to heaven, it will be populated with those uh, with murderers, with those who have been unfaithful, with cheaters, with swindlers, who have been redeemed by God's grace. The worst of the worst will be accepted into God's kingdom with open arms. Everybody except someone who disagrees with me politically. What is that about? Can we be honest enough to say that when people are trying to bring the goodness of God to bear in the political world, there's going to be a difference of, of opinion on the results and that we don't have to chastise them as somehow not loving God because they disagree with our strategic choices. Let's be honest about that. We can be honest about our own process. We can be honest about those results. And ultimately, can we be honest about where our priorities lie? Look, I love the Constitution. I think it's fantastic and I am proud to be an American. I love the Constitution, but you know what? It is not the 67th book of the Bible. It doesn't guide me in the same way that Holy Scripture does. Some of us are passionate about the Second Amendment. I hope we're equally passionate about the second chapter of the book of Acts where God's spirit comes down and empowers people for ministry and sends them out into the world to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Where our priorities come into conflict, we must always, as followers of Christ, realize, along with what Paul said, that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven first. And we can be honest about that. So we need to vote honestly. But there's, there's another piece of the puzzle here that we need to address, and it's this then in addition to voting honestly, we need to vote hopefully. And people, there is a ton of fear that's, that sweeps across. I talk to more and more people who are just so deeply concerned that if, if this election goes the wrong way, it's pretty much the end of the world. Do you remember, for those of you that were around in 2000, when George Bush was uh, campaigning and, and Al Gore was his opponent, and that whole election came down to the state of Florida. And then, and then in Florida, it came down to just a few precincts. And in those few precincts, they had some problem with the voting, and they couldn't really tell if people had actually punched the, the little uh, holes in the ballot all the way out. And so for literally weeks and weeks, we were fed images of these inspectors in the offices holding the ballots up to the light to try and see if that hole had been punched out correctly and intentionally or not. And they did that. Why? Because that one ballot that they were looking at could be the one ballot that turned the election one way or the other and that the destiny of the nation would ride on that one ballot. And I think sometimes we live in the fear that this election is going to be that same way. Oh, Lord, we're on the precipice. If I vote the wrong way, the apocalypse is coming. In fact, I think some people are literally concerned that if they vote the wrong way, the apocalypse is coming, and 100 years from now, if you look up their name on Wikipedia, it's going to say, yep, responsible for the apocalypse. <laughs> Can I call attention to something that Paul wrote to the Romans, 13th chapter of his letter? He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except for that which God has established. 
the authorities that exist have been established by God. The authorities that exist now have been established by God, and the authorities that will exist will be established by God. It's one of the miracles of the way he does his business is God continually makes sure that his work gets done, but he uses us imperfect people to do it. And we may fret and fuss about what things look like in the future, but can I just point out with, uh, with hope and with certainty that God is going to get his business with America done one way or the other. God's able to use the kingdoms of this world to accomplish the purposes of his kingdom. Probably the best example of that is with his son. God accomplished the redemption of the world. Your redemption, my redemption, our salvation. He accomplished that through the vehicle of some very imperfect human governments. The Jewish government at the time, the Roman government at the time, which put his son to death, which allowed the salvation of all people to be a possibility. And regardless of who occupies the Oval Office 16 months from now, Christ will be on the throne. And God's purposes will be being played out. And we're Americans, so we naturally think that God's purposes for us are all good, always triumphant, and always winning. And Lord willing, that will be the case. That would be wonderful. But let's not be so arrogant as to think that that's automatically the case. We submit ourselves to God and to his calling and to his purposes, knowing that always and at every time he is on the throne and that he rules with grace and power and with love, for which we can be incredibly grateful. So we're going to vote honestly, but we're going to vote um, real hopefully as well. We're not going to, as well, we're not going to buckle under the fear. There's another one here that's really, really important, and it's this. We need to vote humbly. And I'm, when I say that we need to vote humbly, I'm, I'm talking about kind of the tone of the conversations that specifically take place around this election cycle. I'm talking a little bit less about what we do when we're in the voting booth casting our ballot or when we're sitting around the dining room table filling it out and mailing it in, but I'm talking about the tone of our interaction with others around this particular election cycle. Um, Paul, or Peter, rather, put it this way. He said this. He said, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. With every passing year, I love this passage a little bit more. <laughs> I really do. When I was young, I didn't like it at all, but it's starting to look pretty good from here. But it's interesting, but he says, so if you're young, you should submit to your elders, but all of you, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're particularly well-informed politically or whether you're not, whether you have strong and powerful convictions that you've thought and prayed through for years or whether you're new to the process because it's your first time voting, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Look, I want to be, I desperately want to be on God's side of every issue. And the way that I do that is to remain humble. I, I actually love this quite a bit. I love that it says, clothe yourselves with humility, right? So the clothing is what goes on the outside. So even if you don't feel humble, even if you're convinced that you're right and everybody else is an idiot, put on the outer garments of humility. At least act like it. Make nice. Play kindly with others. 
it's interesting what, what, to think about what would humility look like in terms of a political con conversation? Because I will tell you that a number of the conversations that I, that I overhear and oversee on social media, many of them between believers are anything but humble. They're toxic, they're caustic, they're harsh, they're arrogant, they're critical, and they're belittling. And there's no place for any of that amongst the followers of Jesus Christ. You want to be on God's side? Be humble, regardless what side of the argument you come down on. What does that posture look like? Well, the, the first thing it means is it, it's more about listening than telling. True humility in political conversation involves listening to what's being said, to hearing not just the words but the heart of another, and allowing that to become even more important to you than just the telling and getting your point across. Similarly, it's a, it's a posture of learning rather than teaching. When you get into that conversation at the water cooler with that family member or whoever it may be, are, are you interested in, in gaining new perspective and gaining um, insight and, and, and learning from someone who, shares a, uh, who has a different opinion? Or are you just ready to teach and to demonstrate that you know better? Humility is a posture that says, I can learn here even if I continue to disagree. So it's about listening and it's about learning. And, and thirdly, humility is about loving. Humility is a posture of loving rather than conquering. I don't know about you, but this is the way that my mind works. And after all those years as a young person playing competitive sports and everything else, it's all about winning. It's all about conquering the enemy. So if there's a political conversation to be had and someone has this opinion and I have that opinion, I know, I, here's where I go, I know what this conversation's about. It is me about putting them down where that particular uh, political conversation is, it's about, it's about uh, showing and revealing the weakness in their argument, it's about showing the superiority and the thought process of my argument, it's about letting them and anybody who's listening know that I'm right and that they're wrong, in Jesus' name. <laughs> That's not humility. That's just an attitude that says, I gotta conquer, I gotta win. And there's nothing humble about that. See, if what people encounter in us is a superior argument, but it, if what they first encounter with us is a superior argument and not love, we've failed them as believers. If they're forced to bow the knee to the strength of our rhetorical skills, but that happens absent any sense of caring or loving or nurturing, we, we failed as believers, we've lost it. We've stepped far outside of humility and we're at the center of pride and arrogance. And God cares way more about the fact that we're loving along the way than he does about any one particular vote that we're gonna make. When we vote, we need to vote honestly and we need to vote hopefully and we need to vote humbly and I did everything I could to make this fourth one start with H, and it just doesn't. <laughs> so I feel like a little bit of a disappointment, and I apologize. But this one might be the most important, and it's this. We need to vote prayerfully. We need to step past this sense that I already know what's right, and I already know where I stand, and I'm just going to go do what I instinctively want to do. 
we need to make our vote an expression of a season spent in prayer. Now, when I first think about the idea, hey, I should pray about my vote, my mind goes immediately to this. Dear Lord, help my candidate win. Amen. <laughs> I don't think that's what God has in mind. In fact, when the disciples were asking Jesus about how to pray, um, he gave them this great example of the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and it begins with this. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, not my kingdom, not my candidate, but Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. And the God who we know from Romans 13 is going to allow a particular uh, person to occupy that office. We can say, Lord, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. I want to encourage us in the, in the coming season to devote a lot of prayer to seeing God's will be done, to bringing God's will into play. And your picture of what God's will is may be different from somebody else's, and that's okay, as long as we're saying, God, I want, what, I want your will, I want your uh, purposes to be fulfilled, and they will be. But beyond just the very general God, I would like for your will to be done and invoking that and inviting that. Beyond that, there's something that we need to pray for ourselves because we have been given the gift of an opportunity to vote. We've been given the opportunity by the land in which we live to have some say in what takes place. And so what are we going to do with that? What's the best use of that vote? Well, how can we best steward that vote towards God's purposes? The answer to that question, it requires wisdom. We need to be wise. How do you become wise? When James was writing to the church, he wrote this. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and that wisdom will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and you must not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And that person, the one who doubts, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Could it be simple like that? God, we're in this super complex election environment. I've got this very difficult task of kind of taking who I know you to be and what I know you desire and running through the grid of this incredibly complex political system. What should I do? God, it's confusing. I don't have wisdom. Would you give it to me? And then there's the challenge of faith as James laid out to say, do you believe he'll answer that prayer? Do you believe he'll make you wise? Do you believe he'll speak into your mind and heart uh, a step-by-step -step process that is wise? I believe that he will. And you know what that's going to look like? That's going to look like you praying for wisdom and then believing that God has given you wisdom. And then here's the kicker. Just acting on that wisdom, whether you're absolutely sure or not. Pray for God. Ask for wisdom. Do what he's leading you to do. The good news is that even if, I mean, we're, we're fallible, right? We're broken. We don't get it right. We make mistakes. Guess what happens if we make a mistake where wisdom is concerned? God covers it. He'll take care of it. Our, our call is to seek God for wisdom and then say, uh, and then act on the wisdom that he's giving us. Um, you want to know another 
great place to get wisdom? It's in the Bible. Like, we've got some 52 days between now and the election. And I would say that if you want to be wise, not just about the election, but about anything, commit yourself to an extended period of just immersing yourself in God's Word and reading the Bible and let it soak into you so that your thoughts become very naturally the thoughts that are already ex expressed in God's Holy Word. And I'm not talking about going through page by page looking for some kind of obscure text that nobody's heard of and the original language it, it shows that the other candidate is the Antichrist. Right? I'm, not, I'm not talking about that kind of weirdness. I'm talking about just allowing the truth of God's Word to flow into who we are because we're reading it all the time. And the more that we do that, the more we tend to think biblically. The more we tend to engage around the truth of Scripture. The more we tend to put into practice biblical principles. The more wise we become. And then we use our vote wisely. But we don't get there without prayer. And so I'm going to challenge us as a congregation. I'm going to challenge us to make the remaining interval between now and what, at whatever point along the way you cast your, void, your vote. Make it a season of prayer. Commit yourself to seeking God's wisdom, his kingdom, and his will. Commit yourself to moving forward in an attitude and in a posture of humility, full of hope, fighting off any sense of fear, and being very, very honest about this process by which we do our best to embody the principles of who God is in the way that we live our life. In many ways, um, this is a very complicated way of saying that something that's very basic about the Christian life. Do everything you can to hear from God and then do what he says. If we do that, we'll be fine. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, kind of together I think we would want to acknowledge, Lord, that we are grateful to live in this country. We're grateful for the privileges that are provided uh, in this land that we love. We're grateful for it, God. We take it for the blessing and appreciate it for the blessing that it is. God, we're grateful for those who have um, sacrificed so much to provide the freedoms that we enjoy. And uh, in response to that, God, there's this great responsibility we have to do well with the opportunity to vote that we have. God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? God, would you make us wise and would you make us humble? God, would you cause the various conversations that take place to be conversations which are so loving in nature and so respectful at tone that in some way or another they always point back to you? God, we pray together. Would you allow your kingdom to come and your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we thank you so much for finding North Church Sermons Online, and we hope that the message today brought value and enrichment to your life. If you'd like to participate in the giving of this ministry, there's a couple of easy ways for you to do that. You can text the word NORTH to 77977 and receive a text back and get your online giving set up in under 60 seconds. Or else you can visit us online at northchurch.net and click on Give Online and participating in the things that God's doing right here at North Church. We thank you so much for joining us. God bless.